Faith here with your welcome toast. David Mamet said, stress cannot exist in the presence of a pie. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. Ooh, I can't take my eyes off it. Moving so phenomenally. Come on, like the way we rock it. So don't stop. From the Big G, where the action is in downtown New Haven, it's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. On the show, ideas for sheet cakes and slab pies to feed a party. From apple cake with walnuts to gluten-free fudge cake that is just a knockout. The woman who made all 250 recipes from the cookbook author she loves Easter ham glaze with brown sugar and spicy mustard and so much more. My food buddies are here, Chris Prosperi, senior producer Robin Doyen Aiken, Bruce Weinstein, author of Sheet Cakes and Slab Pies, and Alex Province. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey. How are you? Our show is now in residence at Gateway Community College. It's big, modern, and light-filled here. People from every culture and food tradition are on this city campus. We have offices, a Connecticut public broadcast studio, and our show makes use of the Big G five fully equipped kitchens where we work shoulder to shoulder with professional chefs and the Gateway Culinary Education Program. These are students who are training for careers in the food world. We're having the best time here. And we're steps from New Haven's phenomenal downtown restaurant seat. What could be bad about this? (laughs) Also, stay tuned for announcements of our Food Schmooze audience shows here at Gateway's Cafe Vincenzo. This is a, a cafe, small restaurant, equipped with overhead video cameras, big screens, so you can learn how to make what we make, and we can make some fun together. So we'll have those announcements for you coming up. Very quickly, uh, best thing each of you ate this week. Chris. So on Sunday night, I went to Arethusa La Tavola in Bantam, Connecticut, and I just love it there. And instead of ordering an appetizer, entree, and dessert, I just order most of their appetizers. So I don't even care which one you order. They're just amazing. So just go in, share a bunch of appetizers, and it is the best. Bruce Weinstein. Oh, I'm testing recipes for a new book, and my favorite thing came out this week, which is a pork and rice stuffed Polish galumpkis, a stuffed cabbage with uh, bacon and carrots and onions in a little tomato and vinegar sauce. Oh, Robin Doyen-Aiken, best thing you ate this week? My daughter Violet made homemade pasta, borrowed a pasta machine from her culinary elective at Cheshire High, go Rams, and whipped up homemade pasta on a Wednesday night. What sauce did you put on it? Well, I didn't want to do a sauce because the pasta was cracked pepper pasta, Mm. and since it was her first time making homemade pasta, I just really wanted to taste these noodles, so we just did a little butter, five-ingredient pasta, bread flour, fantastic, eggs, oil, salt, pepper, that's it. You have a cook in the making, so he Mm -hmm. cooks in that house. Alex, what about you? We invented this like rice dish. We took a heavy bottom stock pan, some olive oil, sort of sautéed some chicken thighs till they got nice and brown. Then I took a leftover can of beer that was in the refrigerator, some white wine that we had sitting around. I de- like just poured it in, <laughs> brought it up to the level of the chicken, added a little water. I actually had sauteed some onions as well and some garlic and all of that. And then once it started up to a boil, I took what my grandfather does in Spain, which is like a, a handful of rice per person that I dumped in. So it was just Matt and I, so I dumped in two scoops. I envisioned like a little thickness to it. So I took a, a little butter in a separate pan 
and made a little roux, and then I dumped it in, and it thickened up the rice, and we sauteed some mushrooms and dumped it in, and it, it was like kind of like a paella, risotto hybrid, and it was really good. <laughs> wow. You know, I like, like I like the sound of that. It's sort of cooking on the fly. You know, you're just doing Using up ingredients. It takes courage, though. I think a lot of people listening right now would say, oh, I don't have the courage to do that. I admire that you did it. My favorite thing this week, and it will continue to be my favorite thing, is I made up a new breakfast cereal for myself, a bowl of warm quinoa. Then I grated some fresh Parmigiano-Reggiano and sprinkled it on the quinoa and stirred it up, and then a little wedge of fresh lemon a little salt and pepper, and it was the most delicious breakfast. You do savory breakfasts, yeah. Yeah. right? Uh, I guess. I mean, I just mm-hmm. I, I keep watching other people have cereal, and there's nothing that appeals to me. And I thought, well, why can't I do it with quinoa? So it was one of those health bowls, I guess. Yeah. But boy, it was it good. It sounds delicious. It even sounds like that would go alongside a steak, too. It would. It really would. <laughs> For breakfast, too? Yeah, sure. Steak, why not? Steak, eggs, and quinoa. Cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what, we've got Easter coming, and I can't wait because... Bruce Weinstein is back on our show, and he is co-author with Mark Scarborough of this book, All-Time Favorite Sheet Cakes and Slab Pies. We're going to tell you how to make these sheet cakes and pies for a party crowd, so you make them on a a sheet tray. The flavors, I just ate, I don't know how many pieces (laughs) of the one he brought in. It's so, I can't wait to talk to you about it, so that's coming up. Let's do Easter because people, everybody does usually the same thing, but sometimes you're scrounging around for an idea of what to do with that ham. So glazes, whatever you might put on it. Chris, how about you? I like bourbon and pineapple this year. That's what I'm going to do. I don't know why, but I've been cooking a lot with bourbon. So what, that sounds delicious. Yeah. What would you do? You just I'm just going to cook it down, make a glaze, and then mop it on as I cook my ham. So just bourbon in a bowl. Yeah, in a pot with pineapple and juice. And you're going to cook it. And I'm going to cook it down, maybe a little brown sugar and salt, and then just glaze oh, my hand now, with it. Now comes out yeah. the ingredients. Okay. Yeah. And then cloves? Any cloves? cloves no, out? I'm not going to. I think I'm going to keep it simple. Okay. Yeah. That sounds really yeah. delicious I like to bourbon. me. I, I don't know. Bourbon I and ham. I try to, that. Bourbon and ham to me seem to be. And then drink Manhattans with it. I like How that. great with yeah. that? Chris, a little cherries. Mm-hmm. Would you do a little <laughs> vanilla just to play off the bourbon note? Yeah, you could. Vanilla extract? Yeah. Mm, okay. Just wondering. No, that's coming right. for Easter. <laughs> yeah. All right. Bruce Weinstein, what about you? Well, How? I kind of go on the other side of the tracks with this, and I tend to go for fresh hams as opposed to smoked hams. Because when I do a fresh ham, it's like having the best pork roast you ever had mm. in do your you, life. So you mean the fresh ham that? Do you have to soak that? No, no. This no. is just like a giant pork roast. Yeah. So oh. I mean, a ham is the back leg of a pig. So rather than getting one that's been brined and smoked, yeah. you could buy them fresh. And so you're basically making a fresh pork roast, but it's still a ham. What cut is it? Is it the pork butt? That is actually from the front leg. The oh, butt is the front shoulder. So you're just getting the back leg, and you can get the shank end or the the butt end. And it, even though it's not a pork butt, they still use that word butt end on that mm-hmm. ham. So it's just like a giant fresh pork roast that comes from the back hip. And it is amazing. And you can... You can marinate it. You could just salt and pepper it. You can go Italian style and do garlic and lemon zest and uh, rosemary and olive oil. You know, I went to a South American restaurant years ago in Chelsea in New York City, and I'd go once a week because they would, for six ninety five, I think, they would do on Sundays this roast pork that they had marinated in white wine, garlic, fresh orange juice, fresh lime juice, 
for several days, and then they would roast it oh, from there, oh, and it was oh. so incredible. So now yeah. you've got me hungry for that. Yeah, it's, a fresh ham just makes such a nice change from a smoked ham. And everyone thinks smoked, but no one thinks fresh. And I think it's something that you shouldn't overlook. How it's many a peop- wonderful idea. How many people do you need to eat that? I'm thinking huge. Well, you know, what the uh, definition of an eternity is two people and a ham. So. <laughs> I heard that about the fruitcake, actually. <laughs> okay. Um, Alex? Every year I want to try one of these salted hams that I see when I visit Matt's mom and dad in Virginia. They're everywhere in the grocery store. They come in a like a burlap bag. You know, they're, I don't know, 200 pounds or something. <laughs> they're not. They're like 50 pounds. But you have to soak them, and I need a group of people to help me eat it. But I'd love to try one. They're very salty, right? I think you can get the salt out of them. Well, you soak. You have to yeah. soak them if you're going to cook them. Certain ones can be sliced thin and eaten raw just mm-hmm. as you would eat prosciutto because they are. The American country hams are sort of the American versions of prosciutto. Um, and they're sliced very, very thin, and you can really can't eat much of them because of the salt content. It's not even for health reasons. It's just your mouth gets tired. I remember this right. happening to me where I thought I, I put a huge pile on a plate. <laughs> you could never, yeah. And I, I thought, oh, my God, this is like eating a bowl of anchovies. <laughs> this is really, it was good, but it was a lot. What, was that one soaked or not? That was, no, just, soaked. Just, that was soaked. And it was, was still soaked. salty yeah, very, still mm-hmm. very yeah. salty. Yeah, soaking softens them so that you can then, you know, roast them or just carve them, but that doesn't take all the salt out. And it's yeah. why the biscuit was invented, I've decided. <laughs> ah, that's a good thought because then it's Sucks up all the salt. (laughs) Okay. So this is what's curious about this Easter ham thing. I went to a variety of sites, and one of them was the Pioneer Woman. And she makes a glaze with a little apple cider vinegar in a bowl, half a cup of grainy, spicy mustard, a bunch of brown sugar, and then she pours in either a cola or a Dr. Pepper. And simmers that for about 15, 20 minutes until it thickens up a little bit and then paints the ham Classic with it. Southern. Yeah. So, here's, so I keep looking at the recipe and I think the Dr. Pepper or the Coke, my mother used to do this with cola and cloves on a ham. And pineapple, but right? But you've already got a sugar in here, brown sugar. And so isn't the, the cola or the Dr. Pepper the same thing? I mean, why wouldn't you just put more sugar in there? Because it's all sugar. Well, there is a flavor to it. I mean, Dr. Pepper has a sort of cherryish herbal cola Plum. flavor. Mm-hmm. And you do get, when you, by boiling it down, you make it thicker. And then also you have a bit of a cola taste. But you can, if you search around, find cola syrups. And that will save you the problem of having to boil it down. You can just mix a little cola syrup mm-hmm. with mustard and spices and brown sugar. It's interesting. I wonder if the fructose or the corn syrup changes. You know how when you make mm-hmm. um, use fructose and regular sugar to, to make it smoother? I wonder if there's a play on sugars or something so the, so the glaze mm-hmm. isn't grainy. Yeah, but I like this idea of spicy mustard yeah, I do too. and the brown sugar and the little bit of bite from the apple cider vinegar, that sounded good to me. I mean, yeah. actually, and every single one of these sounds recipes really sounds good. good. And <laughs> sweet's important, right? Because when you give the smoked ham or the salted ham, they they got some salt to them. Ham so is my sweet. favorite food, though. I love going to a party <laughs> when someone has a real ham. And, and when I you like said, le- what, how many people do you need to eat it? No, you got to have like a big chunk left yeah. over for sandwiches at least and for the next soup. week. Yeah, and soup. Well, we're going to get to Bruce's book on party cakes and pies, these slab cakes and slab pies. 
And what we're talking about with these hams or turkeys is just party food. It is. It's, it's just great. to be great together, actually. It is. So we mentioned cola, so I wanted to give you some food news. I read this article in The Times that Coca-Cola has created something new. In Japan, they're doing these booze-filled Cokes. Like they in make, a can? The, yeah. yeah, they're bottled. Oh. Yeah, they're I read bottled, that. Yeah. I read that in a paper. Yeah, that they're going to be all sorts of flavors. Some will be cola flavored. Some will be fruit flavored. They're slightly lower alcohol, and they're going to be fizzy drinks with alcohol. Yeah. So um, they call them chuhai yeah. in Japan, and um, they've become this kind of drink has become really popular across the country. And uh, Coke thinks it has to adapt internationally in these markets, including here in the United States. Yeah, They're doing ha- it. And we have a couple of the guys that work for me drink those, like, soda alcohol, low-alcohol bottles that they get, right? Do you in, know what I'm talking in about? In Spain, they call it a calimocho. So you yeah. take a two-liter bottle of Coca-Cola or soda, you pour half into an empty bottle, and then you take a, a liter of wine, you know, like you yeah. get in the grocery store, and then replace it, and it's calimocho. So half Coca-Cola, half red wine. Thank you. I have been... I've been loving that drink for years, and everybody makes fun of me when I fill no. a glass with Coke and red wine. Just call it calimocho. No. Oh, then it's now it's sophisticated. No. Write that in, down. In <laughs> Europe, it's everywhere I'm in Europe. Vindicated. I know. <laughs> what is that? Oh, that's a calimocho. <laughs> you know, it even sounds cool. Bruce, did you see in that New York Times article something that surprised me? I never knew that Coca-Cola had invented uh, wines that they were selling in cans. Do you remember this? I I've don't n- remember that. I, I read that and I was shocked to see it. I know. The really? only other time I've seen wine in cans was in a supermarket in California last summer. And even that just like took me by surprise. Me too. Was and it a wine cooler or was it just no, wine? No, it was just wine. wine. It was it wine, was just in wine. wine in like a can. Like a beer can. You know, cold for a picnic, yeah, you'd yeah. put a can in the picnic basket. Yes. They said sure. that they, they tried this on the West Coast back in 1977 and the idea was to do mid-priced wines there, started out there and see how it went. And then uh, they started serving them on United Airlines flights. And the next thing you know, it was like bag-in-a-box type wines to (laughs) Coca-Cola. And then next thing you know, Seagram's comes along and buys that segment of the company for $200 million in 1983. So they made it a tidy little profit. (laughs) Yeah. There's small wineries in California that actually have a canning truck that will come to your property. And can the wine. And can it so you don't have to buy any of the equipment. That sounds like a great idea. They'll just take the wine, put in a can for you with your own label. So great for boats and... I don't know. Great if for smooth taste tests. You want a can yeah. of beer? Yeah, a can no, of wine. I'm, I'm you want a can of red glass, wine. So yeah. it's like nice. You know, I want a can of red wine. Sure. <laughs> but doesn't it worry you that the next step is carbonating it? Well, wine is not champagne. But don't you <laughs> love, I love from Italy, those yes. carbonated dry sparkling reds yeah. from the Piemonte region. Yes, They're those beautiful. Are nice. yeah. Oh, my God. Would it be so great with your pork roast, by the way? Oh, yum. <laughs> so maybe we're onto something. Maybe, maybe that's the next step. I love the idea of wine and cans. Oh, my God. It's I want fun. a six-pack of Cabernet. <laughs> but does the wine, how about the inside metal? You know, yeah, I, I wonder, I'm sure they had yeah. to line it, right, oh, to yeah, protect it. It's got to yep. have some sort of protect. Yep, lining. That's what yeah. people used to say about the Getting vegetables. Aluminum. Oh, oh aluminum. I'm sure they line those cans. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> you know All you right. never want a dented can. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. Um, that'd be a good band name, wouldn't dented it? Dented can. 
Okay. All right, more mouth-watering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I'm just going to say these words, Kung Pao potatoes. Oh, I hope you'll make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. We're online now at foodschmooze.org, and we'll be right back. Faith Middleton, and I invite you to sign up for our free podcast, which is a copy of the show, essentially. And it just means once you sign up for it, we then send it to you every week, and you can listen on your schedule. Go to foodschmooze.org, and you'll see it. I'm with my treasured food buddies, Chris Prosperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, wine broker Alex Province in Hartford, and Bruce Weinstein, who is co-author of all-time favorite sheet cakes and slab pies. We're going to get to that very shortly. We just have to tell you about this woman who has cooked every recipe in a cookbook, more than 200 of them, and she's really remarkable. Alex is going to tell that story. But first, I would like to pay tribute to a food site that I like a lot. It's Food 52. Love them, and, too. Yeah, Amanda um, Hesser. Amanda Hesser from the New York Times, formerly New York Times, started this site with some other people. They featured recently Kung Pao potatoes. I wish I could tell you I'd made these, but I printed it out and thought, I have to talk about this on the show, the very idea of Kung Pao potatoes. The wheels are just turning. (laughs) So listen to the kinds of ingredients here. Of course, yellow gold potatoes. You peel and cut them into cubes. And then there's white distilled vinegar and cornstarch. And then the sauce is cornstarch to thicken things up, a little tiny bit of sugar and salt, some dry cooking sherry, balsamic vinegar, soy sauce, sesame oil, dried red chilies, peppercorns, garlic, fresh ginger, scallions, and roasted peanuts. Mm. Really... So they're doing like Kung Pao chicken, but they're replacing it with potatoes to make it 100% vegetarian. And Bruce is telling us that they often do potatoes in Chinese restaurants, and I've never seen it. Potatoes are a big vegetable in China, and a lot of the Sichuan restaurants that I've gone to in New York always have a stir-fried potato dish on the menu. They're slightly crunchy. I've never seen them cut in cubes the way the recipe you just read said. Usually they're shredded or julienned. And they're not parboiled so that after the stir-fry, there's still a bit of a crunch to it. And with the chilies and the crunch and the ginger, it's an amazing combination. And to to think about the peanuts on there. This is just another potato salad, really, but it is the (laughs) the ultimate potato salad. We have to bring that back in the summer. Kung Pao potato salad. describing it to me, though, that's what's really getting the wheels turning. I mean, I just think of it as a whole new vegetable now. 
there's so many different ways you can take that shredded potato and do stir fries with it and use it as the main ingredient in a dish. Oh, you know? and then add some smoked duck to that yeah. stir fry. Oh, oh. oh. Yeah. that's a hash now, kung pao uh-huh. hash. Okay, if that's on the menu, yeah, I you're going to get credit. You got it. <laughs> that's, that's, that'll be no. You can come in Saturday night. That'll be our family meal. To, that's the recipe. <laughs> I'm coming. Like, <laughs> if you like duck fat, Eric at Forbidden City in Middletown does all of his stir fries using duck fat. Nice. So all of his okay. fried rice. This is my price. <laughs> you asked me to go with you on NBC. Oh yeah, next and yeah, I, yeah, I am going uh, well, Thursday. Yeah. I am going to. You know, I said yeah. I would do that, yeah. but as payment, I need these kung pao potatoes. <laughs> all right, Food Fifty Two, the offerers of this recipe, they really deserve credit, and so I invite you to go to their site and look up this recipe for kung pao potatoes. Okay, so good. Now we've got to hear the story about <laughs> the woman. I call her the woman. This is a relative of Alex's who cooked, what, 250 recipes from a cookbook? Tell us this story. So Matt's cousin, Mary Colby from West Hartford, is a prolific baker, and it runs in the family. So Matt's grandmother, which is Mary's grandmother, you know, Lucy, she's a big baker, and they're great-grandmother. But the funny thing is, Mary doesn't eat any of these recipes. So out of the blue, she decided she was going to cook 250 recipes out of Mary Berry's Baking Bible. I can hardly say it. British Baking Show. (laughs) I've never even heard of her until today. I love her. So on Facebook, I'll just see these pictures of scones or like chocolate cake or something. And it's always she takes a picture after she bakes it and then she brings it into either work or her husband's work or it goes someplace and she, she never eats them. So this cake is a Simnel cake. It came up. Delicious. She did a (laughs) great job. It's it's a like a fruit cake, isn't it? This, it's Easter Simnel cake. This is the new Julia Julie thing. Yeah, it is. So, it this all, is what, so what is it? It's Mary Berry. This could be a whole <laughs> blog and movie. <laughs> so what's funny is, so we were at, at a dinner a couple weekends ago, and then the Simnel cake came up, and then I've never even heard of a Simnel cake. But we were talking. Remember the the fruit cake that we talked about in Antarctic that lasted mm. centuries? We were talking about that. So she mentioned the Simnel cake, and lo and behold, last weekend the Simnel cake appears on my porch. And so I was so tempted to cut a piece, but I wanted to bring it in to share with you guys. It was good. I just want to thank her because she really did a great job. It was really delicious. I'm not a fruit person. I'm not a big fruitcake person, but I really like that. It's like spicy, but what's cool about it is it's like marzipan and it has traditionally has like 12 balls on top and it's the 12 disciples minus Judas plus Jesus. I mean, so it has a whole history, (laughs) a whole like British. Easter sort of theme to it. King Arthur. Yeah. <laughs> There's a cross, and if you can pour the ball off, then you're king or whatever. I want to see a blog, though. I want to see her cooking in, these yeah. recipes because I'm telling you, this the is the new Julie the Julia. It's yeah. Mary Mary. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, uh, we're being irreverent. Like, I'm sorry so to what? all these Simnel I'm done. Yeah. Has anyone else heard of a Simnel cake? So I haven't, and I come from those people. So... It has um, cherries and butter and sugar, eggs, flour, raisins and currants, a candied peel and zest, ground spice mix and marzipan and apricot jam. It's loaded with stuff. And you can feel it when you try to... It's like we had to wheel it here on a cart, actually. Everyone makes fun of fruitcake, but it's actually really has a great flavor to it, and it's a nice texture. And if you, it, yeah. with a nice cup of coffee, it would be a really lovely dessert. And, it's, and weirdly, it's not high sugar, and we enjoyed it. Um, so, should we so, bury it in the ice and come n- back in a no, no. three generations? Leave it for your children, <laughs> <laughs> your children's children's children's. Yeah, I, Save I, it for- 
Really, I thank her for she's, sharing this with us and the yeah. story of what she's doing. She, I love that she is so passionate She's about an this. engineer, so all of her recipes come out exactly like they were intended. Baker. When I saw the picture of the Seminole cake and then when it showed up, it looks like exactly the way it's – she doesn't improvise, so she's very methodical and – it's fun that she gets passion out of baking, but, you know, you think the whole point of baking is to eat, but she doesn't. She gets it all away. It's no different than carving wood or doing a painting. These are things that are given to other people. Or crochet in her case as well. Yeah, she does that too. She's a real engineer. Good for her. Yeah, cool. Before we get to the slab pies and slab cakes, Alex, can you talk about Easter wines? Sure. We just had like a Gewürztraminer, which is a German grape. This one happened to be local, but you had mentioned it had that residual sweetness to it and some kind of floral, floral notes, and you picked up right away that'd be a great Easter wine. So it would go nicely with ham just because of the glaze is a little bit sweet. Sugar, yeah. You yeah, like it great. too, right? Yeah, I think those flavors go great. Reverse Renner, Riesling, those are the two that pop into my head for Easter, Yeah, if you, uh-huh. especially if you're looking for a white. They're slightly maybe sweeter than Sauvignon Blanc that people are normally used to drinking, but as far as a real food pairing, it would go really nicely. The other way to go, of course, is just doing Pinot Noir is always a safe bet with Easter ham, and or just do what we always say, like the medley of wines, just do a box. <laughs> a bunch of but what about wines. the Spanish wines, like the ones you, yeah, like the ones you always drink? Aren't those really good with hams? It's amazing how popular now people are more into aged Riojas. You know what I think like about? I, I've never served this, but I, I'm thinking right now about a dry sparkling rosé to have with that's East, great Easter idea. ham. Would that work? Mm, or just a regular rosé. It just looks like Easter in a glass, right? Just a beautiful mm. pink wine. Yeah. yeah okay. But sparkling would be fun, too. Champagne's always good. All right, I'm dying to get to this. We have Bruce Weinstein here, and he is co-author with Mark Scarborough of this book. He lives in Litchfield, Connecticut, and this is called All-Time Favorite Sheet Cakes and Slab Pies, Easy to Make and Easy to Serve. We're talking about using these larger baking sheets that we have in our houses and that would fill up with this batter and then bring it off to the party. And Bruce brought two of them into the studio. And party. They were so delicious. One of them I flipped out over, and mm. it turns out it's the gluten-free one. And we're going to tell you about that, so I can't wait to get into this. Bruce, how did this idea come to you? Well, to be honest, the idea came to Mark you know, Mark's a Southerner. I'm a New Yorker. And for me, a sheet cake, when I grew up, was a 9 by 13 cake. And Mark always said to me, no, that's not a sheet cake. A sheet cake is an 18 by 13 short pan. In the industry, it's a half hotel sheet pan. And he said, that's what we always brought to family reunions and to cake, to wakes, and to any time there was family getting together. And I kind of didn't know what he was talking about. And so we bought some of the pans. We started making these cakes. And I was blown away because, A, yeah, they, why? Well, they cook faster. So that's one thing. You're out of the kitchen quicker. When you frost one, the ratio of frosting to cake is yes. perfect in every single bite. You are never left with, oh, there's that wad of buttercream and I have no cake left. Or worse, you run out of buttercream. And how about this? The edging. It's like in a brownie oh, pan. You have that much So more. many more edges. Crispy edges. Right. And it can feed a whole lot of people. 
you know, Mark teaches a lot of literature classes where we live in Litchfield County, and I bake him a sheet cake to bring every time. And so if there's 30 people coming to his class or there's 100 people, we could usually manage to feed them all with one or two sheet cakes. Isn't that fantastic yeah. that you That's do that? Cool. Every lecture gets a sheet cake. Piece. I may yep. want to take some literature wow. classes. Well, he's, <laughs> he's, in the middle, he's just started an eight-week series on Virginia Woolf. <laughs> do, you, do you theme the cakes? <laughs> this is the ultimate for him. You know, here we are at Gateway Community yeah. College. I think I dare you. <laughs> I dare you to feed the students here. Thousands of people. It's amazing. <laughs> also, thank you for allowing us to put three of the recipes on our website, oh, foodschmooze.org. So let's go to – this is a good Easter idea, I think, don't you think? Lemon ricotta cake mm. with sweetened whipped cream and berries. Mm. So you've mm. got that cake base, and then comes the sweetened whipped cream with the fresh berries. After you've had that big Easter meal – or holiday meal of any kind, you want something a little on the light side, and this is it. We've got this recipe at foochmoose.org. Tell us about this one. It's very light. There are a lot of eggs, and with the cheese, so it's kind of a cheesecake, but not what you think of as a cheesecake. The ricotta makes it very light, because you separate the eggs so that you're folding the egg whites in so that it gets very light, and it's so lovely lemony that there's, for me, there's nothing better than whipped cream and berries to go with it. Mm. So just think about almost like a little lemon pudding cake, like a little lemon custard cake with whipped cream and berries, whether oh. you're having a salty ham <laughs> or a fresh ham. It's like a Pied Piper. Yeah. Don't you want to just follow him down the street <laughs> like a dog? I do. And I never thought of the idea of, like, how easy it is to make dessert for all these people. Because usually you have to do – if you have, like, 15 or 20 people over, you got to make two or three different yeah. – you can make one slab and you're done. And you're done. And it's Heaven. so easy. You can cut this into, you know, 12 giant servings if you feel like you want to mm-hmm. eat a lot of calories. You can cut into 36 squares. You could even get 48 squares out of it. That's awesome. If I could do a drum roll right now, I would <laughs> because the one I'm ready to talk about – we just finished eating these, and it is. this is on our website, and I'm so grateful for that because when I tasted it, I went crazy, and really, you were all witnesses. I went back and had another huge piece of it. Because, I was honored. Uh, well, I'm honored <laughs> that you made it. I went through all that, and it is that good. And it turns out it's gluten-free for your gluten-free friends. I didn't friends. even know. And you wouldn't know if you didn't know it was gluten-free. I'm going to honor you because... There are a lot of gluten-free things have this funny off taste. <laughs> this is so good. It is a gluten-free coffee cake with almond butter crunch on the top. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Well, the thing about gluten-free is that so many people just go out and buy, you know, the, the packages of gluten-free flour replacement. And often that's just like ground garbanzo beans or soy and you're going to end up with a gummy metallic, texture. Metallic yeah. taste. And so what I wanted to do with every recipe that I did gluten-free in this book is to create a blend of different grains that would keep it gluten-free but still give you a nice taste. And in this one, as you can see in the recipe, I used a combination of buckwheat flour, oat flour, and rice flour. It's a great idea. That's what gave it a little taste. It's unbelievable. And it's It's unbelievable. It's at foodschmooze.org where you'll see lots of information about this book called All-Time Favorite Sheet Cakes and Slab Pies. 
Easy to Make, Easy to Serve by Bruce Weinstein, our guest, and Mark Scarborough, co-author of the book. And they're from Litchfield, Connecticut. They always do great food books. And um, I'm just crazy about this one. Very quickly, I wanted to talk about your chocolate chocolate chip cheesecake. Mm. So tell me, people. You tried it. Yeah. <laughs> I think I could eat a sheet, probably. <laughs> You're the 12 in the pie? Yeah. yeah. yeah only 12 big slabs. Half a sheet. Yeah. <laughs> it feeds two. So, so it's you know, thin. You that, can just work your way across the pan. We have that recipe, too. But I, And there's an uh, apple cake. If I could come to your house and have that with you, walnuts. You're welcome anytime. That's one of my favorite cakes. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's I... My grandmother made apple cake my whole life <gasps> growing up, and so this is sort of a version of what she used to make done as a sheet cake, and yeah, the nuts on top and this mm. vanilla glaze oh, and my God. cinnamony and moist. That's and because my of all right the there. apples, this thing could sit for four days and it just stays moist and moist and moist. Mm. Oh, that sounds so good. Now, the pies... As slab, slab pies. pies. Yeah. That's an, is that a southern concept? Yeah, I, or did you just kind of make that up? Well, no, I don't think we made it up. Slab pies have always been a thing. But to do a pie that's 18 inches by 13 inches is amazing. Yeah. But what's great is you don't have to roll out all those crusts because you can make a bottom crust, a regular crust, and then do a crunch topping. Or whipped cream topping, so you don't have to cover with a top crust if you don't want to. But and you can sometimes. You can. We have a recipe in the book for what we call the giant jam slab pie, which is like the world's biggest Pop-Tart. Mm. And so you've, <laughs> you've got the crust on the bottom, a jam filling, the crust on the top, a vanilla glaze, and sprinkles. You just leave oh. these on the counters, and Shine. they find their way to be gone in what? A couple hours. Oh, oh. at Christmas, yeah. When we, we were at Mark's family, toaster. we kept one out, and it just disappeared. Yeah, people slowly. just come by, right? I love you, this book. I, I think I need to go I to the kitchen. I really <laughs> love what you've done here. This is a very unusual space that you carved out here in the in the food world, and I really I see the advantage now. When you came in with those two sheet pans, I'm looking at them right now and drooling. <laughs> really <laughs> fantastic. Well, we have more of these to talk with you about, and I can't wait to do that. You know us. We love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers. You can get our podcast at foodschmooze.org along with all the recipes we've been talking about. And we'll be right back. Bake the cake, bake the cake, bake the cake. If I knew you were coming, I'd bake the 
I'm Faith Middleton, and this is the Food Schmooze Party at the Big G, Gateway Community College, offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, New York including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island, the Hamptons, of course. The senior producer is Robin Doyon Aiken, and to hear this show on Connecticut Public Radio, it airs Thursdays at 3 and 9 and Saturdays at noon podcasts, and our curated recommendations are always online at foodschmooze.org should you decide you want a little more party in your life. That's why we're here. Okay, as we go back to this cookbook, I wanted to invite you to join the conversation and get creative with us because as we were inspired by this idea of glazes to put on hams, we want to know what are you doing with your ham? If you've got an idea or something special that you do, maybe it's a family tradition, maybe it's something you're trying for the first time. Are you going southwestern? Are you going international? What are you doing? Tell us at Faith Middleton Food Schmooze on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you, and we'll chat back and forth with you. So we have Bruce Weinstein here, co-author of All-Time Favorite Sheet Cakes and Slab Pies. And what that means, when I first saw this cover, I thought, hmm, what is this about? And I realized they're encouraging us to make these low-flat sheet pan cakes and pies that you can cut up and bring to a party and either serve them very large pieces or little tiny pieces, feed crowds at parties. And that's how these recipes are geared. We've just been trying a couple of sheet pans that Bruce brought in, and they are great. You've got one in here with bacon. How can you have a baking book without bacon? I had set out to make a peanut butter sheet cake and put a maple buttercream on it. But I wanted something salty, and I thought, I'm going to fry up some bacon and crumble that over the top and see how it tastes. Well, it tasted so good, and then I looked at this pan of rendered bacon fat and said, I'm making this again, but I'm going to put that bacon fat into the batter now. So I had to supplement it with a little butter. Oh, my God. And so I made the cake again using part butter, part rendered bacon fat. And then went to the hospital (laughs) to lie down. Then a nice maple buttercream and then sprinkled the crunchy crumble bacon on the top. So you rendered the bacon. You have two parts. You are. You're with the right crowd. We love love this this recipe. Just Cake with bacon, it sounded perfect. Sugar and bacon are salt sweet, right? It's the same thing. The life start landing pad nearby. And maple. It's like killer combination. So the frostings on these, well, let's do texture first because there's a cake in here, which is a chocolate cake with caramel buttercream and pretzels. (laughs) So we've got that thing going on with the pretzels it was every bite and i really like this idea salty and crunchy yeah Yeah. chocolate cake with caramel buttercream and pretzels again i wanted some crunch on the top so instead Mm. of the bacon we went with the salty pretzels Mm. and what is a better combination than caramel and chocolate it's just i couldn't think of one so except to add pretzels to it (laughs) and maybe some bacon (laughs) (laughs) or bacon butter Bacon. Mm, bacon butter. Oh, all right. Um, I think you're onto something. <laughs> sell it like in a block. Bacon butter. <laughs> bacon butter. Well, yeah, you just smashed. It's a new compound butter. It's butter with bacon fat. It's bacon now, butter. remember when you were talking about how you don't have to make two crusts when you do these slab pies yeah, on these baking sheets? It's so nice. That is nice. On the other hand, if you're a crust lover, and I am, the fact that you would have 
just a thin separation between one crust Isn't and another. Isn't that fabulous? <laughs> so, so if you're like a, a hand pie. <laughs> if you're a crust lover, you're getting all crust with just a tiny bit of filling. And if you're not a crust lover, do one of the things with a bottom crust, a big filling, and like a crumble topping. Yes, because look what you did. I love this. Spiced peach pie. Mm. Wait till it gets to be the season. With amaretti crunch. So you took the amaretti cookies yep. and crunched them up on top. Yeah, of you mix them with a little brown sugar. and. I have a question because you know me, Faith. When I hear the word pie, I tense up because, one, I can't make pie dough to save my life. And, two, something about that round thing and putting pie dough in it, <laughs> it just freezes me up. But thinking about a sheet pan, for some reason, making it in a slab kind of way. No pressure. Takes, yeah, yeah, why? Is why that because is that? you're rolling out a rectangle? That's Maybe probably what it is. you're rolling out a rectangle. And it's so forgiving because unlike a round pie, which you kind of have to have it perfect when you put it in, yeah. if it breaks, <laughs> if it tears – all you got to do is press it together in the bottom of the pan because you're just doing a rectangle. So it's so forgiving to do a slab pie. This takes the stress out of it. I love this. I love this concept. <laughs> you and Mary on opposite spectrum. No, listen. I can't. Mary relaxes to make. <laughs> oh, I get stressed when I hear the word pie. I love eating it, but making it to me just makes me so insane. But I'm looking at the cover of the book. I can make that. Bruce, yeah, I'm wondering, you that. have you ever taken two sheet pans and like flip one over on top of the other to make a double layer? You know, that way you could get Faith's crust on the top. <laughs> well, you you can make – there are some recipes in the book that call for two crusts. You just have to roll out the second crust and just put it on top. Okay. It's, you could just roll it up on the rolling pan. I still pan like the and, idea of flipping over this big pan. <laughs> but what you can do if you really want to go crazy, you can make two giant sheet cakes, take one out, and then build those into layers. Yeah. It feeds 50. <laughs> or one after a breakup. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> With ice cream, don't forget. It's a good book title. <laughs> Feeds one after a breakup. Um, so this brown butter chess pie, mm. what tradition is that from? Is That's that a southern thing. Southern yeah. chess pie. Chess what, pie what, what is it, So thing. let's talk about that. It's really brown and white sugar, right? And, yeah. It's and then you like brown a, the butter. Yeah, it's almost like a custard pie in a way. Buttermilk. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. There's nothing like... Eggs, brown sugar, buttermilk, and then you add the flavor of brown butter to that. Mm. All you need is one crust on the bottom. It bakes in less than half an hour, as everything in this book does. So it spends less time in the oven because it's flat. Do you have to spin things around? If you don't trust your oven, if you have an oven that's uneven, then I recommend you turn it halfway. But if your oven is fairly even, then I don't find that don't I need bother. to very yeah. often. I love corn flour, cornmeal. Mm -hmm. And I was very much drawn to your almond cornmeal cake with orange glaze. Oh, oh it's the mm. texture of ground nuts. Cornmeal and ground nuts give you that crumbly Italian-style cake. It's like a good olive oil cake that has cornmeal. Like polenta plankton. cake, yeah. I agree with you. That's a delicious thing. Did you grow up baking, or <laughs> did, do you learn as you go? Oh, I'm still learning as I go. I mean, I've been... <laughs> right. Who's not, right? <laughs> I didn't grow up baking. I grew up cooking. I mean, I did all the cooking in the house when I was a kid because my mother did not want to. She was allergic to the stove, so she didn't want to do it. So we did Chinese and pizza and White Castle, and we, we ate takeout all the time. So by the time I was in junior high, I was cooking dinner every night. And then by the time I was in high school, I got into pastries. And then it was, I cooked through the entire Lenotra pastry book. 
and I discovered things like Perry breasts and croquembouche. Ooh. <laughs> you need to meet Mary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so White Castle, is that like the hamburger? Those White are those little square hammers. Oh. And I, I forced Mark to try one a few years ago. He's still never forgiven me. <laughs> yes. It's, it's, I, my mother used to take me there. It's, it's not like but it it's used nostalgic. to be, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when, when I was would... a little kid going there yeah. in Jackson, Mississippi, and they yeah. have like um, onions or something yeah. and a, a dollop of mustard and their little steamy rectangle You can think things. about it like the sheet cake of hamburgers because it's yeah. like all dough with the thinnest little bit of meat. <laughs> well, you think, yeah. See, I'm like you. I grew up with it. So to, yeah. to me, it's nostalgia. Yeah. yeah. What's another one? I used to, in downtown Hartford, go into the Planters Peanut Store. It was a franchise all over the country. And they were big, popular stores, and they just bins of nuts in the windows, and you would walk in, and it smelled like the peanuts. Oh, were they roasting, roasting them there in the store? Yes. Wow. And then they put them in these bags, and you would buy them. And it was Mr. Peanut with the, <laughs> with the hat on and everything. And Wonderful. The yeah. Those are still mic- around, yeah. now, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Come to the peanut store. Now I'm going to start asking people that I know are from Harford if they remember the peanut store. Never mind. I was going to go down memory lane. I remember Bill Sabbath. I was going to say, don't do that. Bruce, do you do like a birthday cake, a traditional, you know, white frosting, yellow? I am opening the book to show you the picture of vanilla cake with confetti frosting. Yes. Ooh, so we can Classic. write happy birthday That's right on that. Yeah. And so we've got our vanilla buttercream over a vanilla cake. And it's you got cover the sprinkles. It with sprinkles. Yes. The colored sprinkles. So you just got to leave a little empty space to write happy birthday, whoever. Or you could make yourself a little template that says happy birthday <gasps> and put sprinkles. So you're writing happy Sweet birthday idea. in sprinkles. See, but this, this is taking all the stress out of making cakes and pies. <laughs> and you could it's, probably... It's all the geometry. And you could probably go to a store like Michael's and buy the template. Oh, my gosh. I bet you don't have to make one. Totally. So you don't even have to learn to write on top of a cake anymore. No. no. I love it. <laughs> to think that you, 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 you realize I just don't like baking. I mean, because I think it's difficult, but you're taking all that off the table. I'm in heaven. What does your dad do again? Yeah, that's probably why, right? I leave it to that side of the family. Oh, that's Chris's right. father's father a baker. Is a very famous baker um, at the Culinary Institute of America. Longtime faculty member there, and still he's a yeah. I didn't uh, yeah, very, but me, I didn't get very that famous gene. guy. So, so I, always, I always feel like a sheet cake is something um, in a southern movie you'd bring to somebody's house. Like, well, when someone's having a tough time, you bring them a sheet cake. You know, it makes things better. Bring it when they're having a good time. I'm too. Girls night. Girls. <laughs> See, when we were kids, we used to make sheet cakes and then we would roll it up, right? We'd make a very oh, make thin. make a jelly roll. A jelly roll. We'd make a very thin sheet cake, yeah. just like a cake batter, and then we would let it cool a little bit. And then, yeah, you'd spread jam on it or chocolate yeah. or whatever, and then you'd just Who roll it up. Who did that in your house? You're, we so did. You're, you did it as kids? We did it as kids. It's like a project. Whose inspiration was that? Mom. Because I was going to say, that mm-hmm. sounds like your Austrian yeah. side. Yeah, especially with the jam, right? Oh, yeah. And then we would either put chocolate or vanilla frosting in there too and make rolls yeah that was just a really good easy dessert so i am from that side i got this <laughs> so this wait, is a revelation you can't do a pie i hope my parents are listening because when i go over next time i'm bringing a sheet pan pie <laughs> are you a pie or a cake no i'm gonna bring a pie, because bring a that's my, pie. yeah because cakes aren't as difficult for me for might, some reason but might pies I su- are my nemesis might, might i suggest the strawberry slab pie with the peanut butter crunch Ooh. topping 
Oh, so it's just on the bottom? Is you the make st- a bottom crust, yeah, and, and then, then the mixture is a combination of strawberry jam and fresh strawberries, and then you make a peanut butter crunch topping for it. What do you folks think of the fact that we can get uh, fruits and vegetables from all over the world any time of year now? Does it bother you? Do you think it's okay? I mean, we certainly know there are all kinds of environmental reasons that's not, it's not a good idea and all that. But, in, you know, from an enjoyment point of view, what do you think? If we're just talking enjoyment, it's wonderful, except there are some exceptions. Yes, you can go in the middle of February into the Stop and Shop and see watermelon. And yes, they're flying them in from South America, but they're never as good. Because to ship fruit, and especially big, heavy fruit, that ship far, green, right? they have to ship them green or they they – Create varietals that can handle well, that are firmer and harder, and they're never but, as good as. But when people are the tomato. when people are depressed, though, isn't that like you know about you know the times? Uh, that that's something a positive thing to look at. That you can go into a stop and shop. We live in a world where you can find all this stuff. It's you, like a pleasure to be. And alive. you know what I think it is? I think we're right? all we're all of <laughs> the same not? time where we remember when you went into the grocery store in the winter and there was nothing. nothing. Well, there was, there was <laughs> citrus. There were good there citrus. Yeah, but that I was mean, it. There's there is some uh, good winter fruit. Yeah. So I mean, I'm, it's an amazing time. I'm with Alex right, on this. I on. love seeing all that stuff in the supermarket. It's Here's poss- your it's box, box of crackers. It's possible to live in both worlds where you uh, look forward to when the fresh mm-hmm. asparagus comes yeah. up in your region yeah. and everything that the, our local farms are doing. And at the same time, if you just get this wacky craving at midnight for a piece of watermelon, <laughs> you can go into your supermarket and get that too, I guess. And like he said, it's not as good, but it's middle of February. It's freezing out and and you know what? I'm having water. It's like flowers from Holland that race over in the logistics. I mean, it's it's pretty fascinating. It will do for a watermelon margarita, though. I will. Uh, I, I'll say. You know, yes, then if it you're works. throwing it in a blender, sure, no problem. <laughs> All right, Bruce. Thank you so much for being here. Say hi to Mark. I will. For thank us. you for inviting me. Uh, Bruce Weinstein and Mark Scarborough, authors of all-time favorite sheet cakes and slab pies recipes on our website, foodschmooze.org. We're on Connecticut Public Radio Thursdays at 3 and 9 and Saturdays at noon. Weekdays, please listen for my 60-second food schmoozes and never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast on your schedule. And when you need a little more party in your life, we're here online at foodschmooze.org. And we hope you'll talk with us on Facebook. We're at Faith Middleton Foodschmooze.